welcome back to Knocked Up, the podcast. Continuing on our series about PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Today, with Dr. Radio Lou from Women's Health Melbourne, we will be talking about PCOS and trying to get pregnant. Welcome, Ramia. Thank you. So tell me, you've diagnosed someone with PCOS, so if you don't know what that is and don't know how it's treated, if you listen to the previous episode, we cover it. Um, So you've been diagnosed with PCOS and you're trying to get pregnant, possibly without success. What's, what's the next step? So my first piece of advice for women with PCOS who are trying to get pregnant is that they should have an immediate referral to a fertility specialist from the beginning because you can waste a lot of time yep. trying to get pregnant without guidance yep. and it is my overwhelming experience from a lot of women that I've helped to conceive with PCOS that with minor tweaks and a bit of advice – Women get pregnant quickly and easily. So in theory, you've been diagnosed with PCOS at a young, when you were younger. So you know you've got it. And then when it comes to getting pregnant, get advice from the beginning. Don't waste time. Well, that, that's the experience of some women. But, yeah. you know, many women with PCOS have been on the pill forever and ever are men. It's a very common experience yeah. that women have symptoms in their teenage years when they're kind of, you know, 15, 16. Yeah. Maybe they got their period late or maybe their period was always irregular and just didn't sort itself out. Yeah. Maybe it was overly heavy. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a lot of acne, which is a really common situation and in response to managing acne as a teenager, they were put on the pill. That happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And so women can take the pill for 10, 15, sometimes 20 years and then come off the pill and find they don't have a regular cycle. Right, so they never knew in the first place. Yeah, sometimes there was not a formal diagnosis of PCOS made at the time. It's actually really hard to diagnose PCOS in a teenager. Right, because they're going through all the symptoms naturally. A lot of the symptoms of PCOS, like uh, acne, exactly. Right. There's a there's an overlap of what can happen to teenagers. Like, for example, it's very normal for teenagers to have irregular periods for the first couple of years, okay. yes. and it's very normal for teenagers to have acne. Of course, and um, to yeah, and to be concerned by hair changes yes, as you you go through puberty. Never had it before, so how do they know what's exceptional yeah so a lot of women do get to the point of trying to have a baby and they don't have a previous diagnosis of PCOS and we're we're making that diagnosis okay so you're trying to get pregnant you know you've got PCOS you've gone to a specialist what 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 kind of help will you be given so I always talk to women about lifestyle lifestyle is the first thing to think about and when I say lifestyle I mean trying to improve the symptom management of PCOS Mm -hmm. through diet and exercise because a lot of women with PCOS even if they're not overweight on paper even if they've got a normal body mass index for them a very minor and discreet weight reduction might bring back a normal cycle so it's definitely worth a try And also, even in women who it's not kind of, you know, the game changer, that it's not going to make them suddenly go back to regular 28-day ovulations, Mm -hmm. it makes it easier with a slight reset of the hormonal environment to help a woman to ovulate and to successfully undertake treatment called ovulation induction. So the very first thing I talk about for women with with PCOS or who I suspect of having PCOS Mm -hmm. is to see their GP. Mm-hmm. and to institute a care plan. Yes. Now, care plan, this is for Australian um, 
residents, uh, a care plan is something that exists in our Medicare system. And what that means is that you can have access to help from a multidisciplinary team, including a dietitian and an exercise physiologist. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, women with PCOS, you know, it, saying to lose weight can be, you know, infuriating because if a woman, especially if she is a little overweight, yes. um, you know, that's probably something that she might have been thinking about and trying to do with a lot of effort and, and you know, saying, oh, just... For quite some time. Yeah, probably for, for years and saying just lose weight, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's not helpful. But just to help understand that metabolic modification, yeah. uh, which does include a minor amount of weight loss, we're talking about 5 to 10% mm -hmm. of the total body weight, uh, and the way that we achieve that can really sensitize a woman's system yeah. and in some cases can be the only thing needed to help restore a normal menstrual cycle. And so what, what I do recommend with PCOS particularly when we're talking about exercise is to concentrate on the forms of exercise that rev up the metabolism. So things like building muscle as yes. opposed to kind of starvation tactics to lose weight yes. um, because that doesn't help. Yep. What we need to do is we want to institute a very small calorific restriction but amp up the weight resistance training. Yep. Um, and what that means is that you build muscle, which is the tissue in the body that burns energy at rest and during exercise the most effectively. And we should be building muscle as women anyway because we lose about 10% of our muscle mass as we per decade as we age. That's right. And we should definitely be – that's something to look at is, is your muscle mass. Absolutely. Now, in terms of diet, I think an important thing is to talk about reducing the glycemic index. Um, yep. Kind of so – um, yeah, exactly. So basically – um, what we want is to cut out simple sugars, mm -hmm. uh, cut out alcohol if you can or reduce it yep. um, because while alcohol is enjoyable, it's also full of what we call empty calories. Yes, it is and 160 calories in a small glass of wine. Yeah, so cutting that out is something that's relatively easy to do and it's good practice for being pregnant because it's the recommendation during pregnancy that alcohol isn't drunk. recording this whilst drinking this wine, but, yes, yes. <laughs> but it's true that when you are pregnant, it's important to reduce alcohol intake to nothing if possible because we don't know what the safe limit is um, for a baby and to uh, reduce the risk of fetal alcohol syndrome. So that is good, good practice and it's an easy cut. Soft drink is another easy target because, again, empty calories. Anything that's not water, basically. Yeah, drinking water, very, very useful. If women drink... A glass of water before every meal, it means that you get a, a state called satiety, you reach satiety at an earlier stage. So drinking water before meals is another good tactic. Um, so there's all these things, but, but getting professional advice from a dietitian will give you a plan and so it's not just ad hoc and so you can have that and, and it's, it's really good advice um, when you're just starting to try to conceive. I this is something all part of the Medicare well, care part plan. of the care plan for yeah. PCOS. So it's sort of a holistic view on what you need to deal, yeah. do to deal with your PCOS. Yeah, and it's not a light switch moment. It's not something that can just happen. So another piece of advice I often give my patients is that if you're kind of attempting lifestyle modification, take your partner along for the ride yeah. because it's much more sustainable if you it's do it together and evidence has shown that where a partnership 
of, um, you know, kind of two individuals takes on lifestyle change is much more effective than if any one individual does. And I guess that's because it's more sustainable. And you're also each other's cheer squad. And men should, before trying to conceive too, be getting healthy. Um, The other thing that's important with PCOS uh, preconception is all the things that would be important for anybody. So going on at the right antenatal vitamin to make sure that you've got enough folate in your system. And in terms of women who uh, still are not having a regular ovulatory cycle with lifestyle change and who are, in my mind, insulin resistant on the basis of the tests that I've done, which we outlined in in our previous um, edition of the podcast, uh, I would consider a, a medication called metformin, which is a medication that's sometimes used to treat diabetes. Mm-hmm. It's a very safe medication. If women fall pregnant on metformin, it's not an issue. Okay. But in PCOS, I usually discontinue it once a pregnancy is achieved because its role is to it's find, it's, it's fulfilled its, its function, its role is to help a woman to ovulate. But basically what metformin does is it can target insulin resistance yep. and try and improve metabolism in that way. And those subtle changes can help natural ovulation. So there is a subset of women who, with PCOS who, with dedicated lifestyle change, yep. will return to normal cycles and get pregnant with no drugs. Okay. There's another subset of PCOS yep. who, with lifestyle change plus metformin, yes. will get pregnant okay. without any other drugs. Yes. And then there's a subset of PCOS who need more help. If I'm undertaking ovulation induction therapy which there are many ways to skin a cash there's many different ways to do ovulation induction but before I do I always always do a comprehensive assessment of both partners Mm -hmm. the male and the female because I don't want to be wasting someone's time trying to exactly there's that there's a severe male factor there because PCOS with ovulation induction it's something that is a dedication you know, to try and get it right. It can involve multiple appointments. It can involve multiple months of trying. And we don't want to be wasting your time. No, and it's often more invasive, which I think we've we've spoken about before, how it's really easy to test for male fertility and then it's either ruled in or out and we know. Yeah, so we we basically do um, a semen analysis, I do, on um, all the partners of women who I'm contemplating helping with ovulation induction. There are different forms of ovulation induction and there are different conditions for which we use ovulation induction. So what I'm going to say next is really in the context of polycystic ovarian syndrome. Some women who don't ovulate because of other causes, some of these methods will not work and will not be useful for. So we are specifically talking about fertility treatment for PCOS sufferers. That's right. Okay. So... In women with PCOS, high androgens are one of the reasons that women don't have a natural rhythm of the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And so some simple oral therapies targeting androgen levels. So when you say an oral therapy, you mean tablets? Tablets, but used in a particular way, um, can help women to ovulate. The most well-known and old-fashioned tablet is called clomiphene citrate or otherwise known as Clomid. to the pituitary gland in the brain and it's a it's a blocker of or it's a modifier of the estrogen receptor Mm -hmm. 
Estrogens and androgens are intimately related. Actually, you know, androgens like testosterone are the building blocks that women use to make estrogen. And in PCOS, because women make too much testosterone, they make um, too much estrogen. And that's one of the reasons, those high levels of circulating estrogens is one of the reasons that we don't kick off into a new menstrual cycle. Because we have too much estrogen. Yeah, so we have high levels of estrogen going on all the time because of the high levels of androgens. And what Clomid does is it blocks the receptor to estrogens. So it means the estrogen is screaming at the brain and the brain can't hear it. And what that means is that the brain then releases follicle-stimulating hormones. So it's like it's a get-around-of-the-peak-off situation without changing the underlying problem. Mm -hmm. So the hormones are in disarray, their levels are unbalanced, and instead of balancing the hormones, Clomid tricks the brain into thinking that they're okay. Now, the problem with Clomid is it lasts a really long time. And what that means is that the brain responds appropriately, but a little bit too much. And in terms of releasing a hormone that makes eggs grow called follicle-stimulating hormone, that's also the hormone that we inject in IVF. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the Clomid makes your own body release follicle-stimulating hormone, but sometimes a little bit too much. And so you have an increased chance of what we call a multi-follicular ovulation or releasing many eggs in the one cycle. So often Clomid results in multiple pregnancies. That's right. And twins is okay. A twin pregnancy is a high-risk pregnancy, but uh, an unmonitored Clomid cycle can result in triplets or in some cases even higher order multiples. So, so it can be quite risky. So we actually, it is so risky that we've done an episode on multiple pregnancies. Yeah, we have. So a few episodes ago, if you want to hear about more about what the issues are involved with multiple pregnancies. So the other reason why I call Clomid a dirty drug, there's a couple of different reasons, is that, so one is the overshoot, that it's hard to get the exact response that you want. So it's it's hard to control. It is. And some women actually have the opposite, that they don't respond to Clomid. And um, it's hard to dose adjust. Yes, it's really not... Take a tablet and it fixes everything. That's right. Yeah. It can also um, cause birth defects. Yes. So it's known as a Category X drug. So, And we've known this for 50 years. That, um, And usually it's fine. Usually if you use Clomid to induce ovulation, it's out of your system well before you get pregnant. Yep. But if you accidentally take Clomid when you are pregnant, yes. it can cause birth defects. Okay. Another reason that I'm not such a fan of Clomid, and I hardly use it in my practice, yes is that it blocks estrogen receptors in other places, like in the lining of the uterus. So it has a much wider effect. It's got side effects. And so when you use Clomid for too long, for too many months in a row, it can actually reduce your chance of getting pregnant despite ovulating because the lining of the uterus is affected in an adverse way. It's no longer ideal. So there's lots of different reasons why um, Clomid is not any longer the first choice for ovulation induction. I insist with all my patients that if they're considering the use of Clomid for polycystic ovarian syndrome, that we monitor their cycle with ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And I actually think it's remiss not to, at least for a few index cycles, to make sure that uh, if ovulation is being achieved, that it's, you know, a reasonable number of follicles that are coming along each month. I much more commonly use a drug called letrozole. Because letrozole is also a tablet, yes. 
but it's a drug that can be more easily adjusted than Clomid. And it's a, a drug that actually kind of more normalizes the hormones in women with, with PCOS because instead of just blocking the receptor and kind of having the whole hormonal environment untouched, mm-hmm. what letrozole does is it actually blocks the enzyme that translates androgens to estrogens and so it actually physically lowers Mm -hmm. the estrogen levels in a woman's circulation for a finite amount of time and what that does is it just allows the natural mechanism um, which causes a natural cycle rhythm in in people without PCOS Mm -hmm. to be able to be reinstated and um, so letrozole compared to Clomid is much more likely to result in one egg being released at a time or if there are more than one egg, it's usually two, not three or four or five. Yes. And uh, it's a medication that's out of your system very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, again, um, we worry about any medication in women who are trying to get pregnant to try and reduce any chance of causing harm or causing birth defects. Yep. So, unlike Clomid, which has a long half-life, letrozole's out of the system very quickly. And the other thing about letrozole is that uh, it's one of these drugs you can dose titrate really easily. So you can um, monitor the specific dose that we use right. on uh, for, the, for the duration of time that we use it. We can alter that woman to woman. We can alter the dose. So it's, um, much more it's a bit more flexible. It's a bit more scientific. Yeah. We've got an end point that we're aiming for, which is reducing the circulating estradiol back down. Yeah. Um, to a level where the normal function can be restored. So it's a little bit, I think, more scientific and a a more modern approach to ovulation induction. So if you don't respond to either the Clomid or the letrozole, what is another way of dealing with pregnancy? So another method of ovulation induction, both letrozole and Clomid aim to ask the body to make its own follicle-stimulating hormone. We can, of course, just give you follicle-stimulating hormone. And that's the medication we use in IVF primarily to ask the follicles to grow. So by delivering that same hormone but in a a much more kind of a lower, more dose-titrated method on a daily basis. So so when you say, was it dose-titrated? Yeah, so you just give a little little tiny bit. So I call it give it a whiff, give it a little tiny bit of follicle-stimulating hormone. Yeah, exactly. It's always start start low and go slow yeah. because polycystic ovaries particularly uh, are susceptible to over-response. And whenever you use follicle-stimulating hormone, again, there's a significant risk of more than one follicle and more than one egg coming along. Okay. So there's a risk of all these techniques, which we call cycle cancellation or being given advice from your doctor mm-hmm. not to continue, not to yeah. try naturally because of a um, predicted high risk of multiple birth. Okay. So with um, ovulation induction, uh, you know, getting the dose right can be tricky. It can take time and it requires frequent appointments often, especially in a first cycle and um, dose adjustment. I always say once we get the recipe right, it's easier to press repeat. But a first cycle with any of these methods is always a, it's a dose finding cycle. Uh, and sometimes it's really, really hard to get it right. And there are some women who are super sensitive to follicle-stimulating hormone where if it is needed, it is almost impossible to get it right because either they do nothing yeah. or they over-respond. Okay. And that is when IVF can be kind of contemplated with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm-hmm. Other reasons why IVF might be used 
is if ovulation's been achieved for a, a consistent period of time, six to 12 months, but pregnancy still hasn't been achieved. Yes. And that's why I also think it's important with polycystic ovarian syndrome to still do a comprehensive fertility assessment of both male and female right at the beginning yes. and identify things because sometimes lightning can strike twice. You can have polycystic ovaries and a malfactor, or you can have polycystic ovaries and endometriosis. And so different things, or you might have had polycystic ovarian syndrome and you might have had chlamydia and had blocked tubes. So all of these things should be checked out right at the beginning because all of these treatments take time. It can be demoralizing if you're not getting pregnant and we don't want to, uh, you know, kind of miss an obvious pink elephant in the corner because we assumed it was the PCOS. So I always investigate thoroughly at the beginning before plunging into treatment. Sometimes when there's a really severe male factor, going straight to IVF with PCOS is the right thing to do because a patient might need ICSI, which is when we use micro-injection of sperm to help make a baby. So there's just having the full picture, knowing what your partner's situation is, is so important. Thank you, Raylia. And everyone, you can join us next week for part two on our series on polycystic ovarian syndrome. In the meantime, for more information, you can visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au or find us on the socials under Women's Health Melbourne.